All right, so this starts off in verse 1, and it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so obviously this letter was written by a man named James. Now, we do see that Jesus had an apostle named James, a brother of John, but most commentary and most early church history points to the, the fact that this was a brother of Jesus. This was one of Jesus' half-brothers that wrote this letter. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, we're told that Jesus had four half-brothers, uh, James being probably the eldest, as well as Joseph and Judas and Simon, these, these four brothers. And sadly, we were told in John 7, 5 that none of them believed in him. None of them believed that he was the Messiah. However, an encouraging news uh, is seen in Acts 1.14 because it says that after the resurrection, when everybody was in the upper room, it says that all, with these were, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So his brothers did come to a saving faith, a, a knowledge of the truth of who their brother, their half-brother was. Now, uh, James was also the leader of the Jerusalem church, and uh, he was the one who wrote that letter in Acts 15 um, about if a Gentile convert should be circumcised, um, and it really has the same flow. He, he starts it kind of the same way as uh, he started this letter, and so whether it had been James, the brother of Jesus, or another one that, that wrote this, we see that he refers to himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And these would have been Jewish exiles. They would have been uh, fleeing from uh, Jerusalem. These would have been Jewish Christians um, he's writing this letter to. They, they would have been outside of Palestine, and they probably would have had these house churches established. And this would have been where his letter had been read. It was an encouraging letter to those who were um, going through difficult times. And he ends the verse with the uh, verse one with greetings. Now, to us, greetings means hi. It means hello. Interestingly enough, though, this word greetings is actually the root word for the uh, in verse two for the word joy. And if you remember in uh, Philippians four four, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say rejoice. It's that same exact word. It's the Greek word kiro. It's rejoice. So he's starting this letter saying, "Greeting, greetings, rejoice." And so the, the theme of this first little section here is joy, finding joy. And so I want to spend a chunk of our time this morning on verse 2. And it, it's counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That word count, count it all joy, is, it's, a, it's a mathematical term. It means that if, if you take the negative of trials, if you take the negative aspects, and you put the positive aspects on the other side, the positive aspects are going to outweigh greatly even the most negative aspects of trials. Um, Paul uses that same term, the count, in the, the well-known verse of Philippians 3.8, which is, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Both of those, it's the same Greek word, count, consider it. Um, and like Paul, James is saying that the sum of our difficulties, the totality of the things that we're going through, should in fact lead us to joy. The outcome of our trials is far greater than the pain and suffering that we're experiencing. And then he goes on to say, my brothers. So this is a letter that is written to believers. Um, it's not written to the world as a whole, but he's talking to his fellow brothers, the believers in Christ. 
the, the, the kind of thinking that he's uh, expressing here, it's, it's uncommon to the world. It's, it's foolish, kind of like we've been talking about in Corinthians. It's not something that the, the world is going to look at and say, well, that makes sense. Count it joy when you go through trials. That, that doesn't register with those who are outside of Christ. Whenever an unbeliever faces a trial, they feel that something's amiss. They feel that this, this just isn't right. I need to get back to the way things were. And they just have a sense of hopelessness. And maybe you remember that as, as an unbeliever, that whenever a trial came upon you, there, there was no hope. It was just, this is a bad time. I hope it ends soon. There was no hope in amidst the trial. But um, as believers, we, we indeed are aware of the trial. We, we don't just pretend, well, this isn't happening. We just don't cover our faces and say, well, this isn't really happening. I'm going to be happy. He, he does say to examine it, to count it as joy. We, we do feel the pain of the trial. We do um, actually look at it, count it, and we, we think about it as being a difficult situation. It is referred to as a trial, but we should see much more going on than just simply the trial itself. As, as believers, we get to look beyond the trial and see the sovereign hand of God working it together for our good, and what a blessing that is. And so James makes it very clear that, that he's speaking to the brother, brethren, and uh, that means that you and I, as believers, get to take this text and apply it to our lives. It's something that, that we get to look at and say, I need to be doing this. I need to be counting it as joy. And um, it doesn't mean that, that in the sense as just because you're a Christian, a lot of the world today would say, well, that means you're going to get your best life now. Once you become a believer, everything works out for good. You're Everything's good in this world. Um, but if you look at Hebrews 11, the, the text that talks about the giants of the faith, and look through some of the trials they went through, it was horrible. But what came about of that was stronger faith. Look to our Lord and Savior. We're told that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus didn't ever... Um, it, it's been said that Jesus didn't ever have a... I'm sorry. It, it, it's been said that God had one son without sin, but no son without sorrow. It's, it's a common thing among us that we're going to have trials, we're going to have grief. It's just interesting to note that in the Bible, we never see Jesus laughing. We never see him joking. We, we never see him um, in the sense that, that he was walking around smiling. We know that he was the most joyous man that ever walked this earth, but we're told that he wept. We're told that he he uh, faced these trials and that he had these burdens that he had to bear. But, but because of that, he was the most joyous man that ever walked this earth. And so if you're a Christian this morning, um, you're among the brethren this, is, this text is talking to. And that's good news because of the next word. If you look, count it all joy, my brothers, when? It doesn't say there if. There's no question of if you're going to face trials. As men and women, we, we are going to face trials. As humans, it's a matter of when that's going to happen. Um, you, you're either coming out of a trial, you're going through a trial, or you're about to go through a trial, it's been said. And there's a lot of truth in that. We, we see in our life and looking back the trials, that it's just the cycle that we go through. And uh, Paul says t to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted persecution is indeed a type of trial. And so James is writing here to, to Jewish Christians. This would have been a, a group of people who 
were basically an outcast of the entire world. The Jews themselves were hated by the Gentiles, but then the Jewish Christians were hated by the Gentiles and their fellow Jews. They were a specific group of people that were really facing a lot of hardship. So James is writing this word of exhortation to them to remind them of the joy that they're supposed to have. Now, we're, we're in a country, we're blessed to live in a place where we're not facing persecution yet, and that's a blessing, that's a grace of God, but um, we still live in a fallen world, and anyone who, who takes a stand for God is going to face some form of persecution. Some form of trial can come about whenever you take a stand for God, whenever you uh, consider yourself as a Christian, because the world hates God, the world hates um, anything to do with God. And so anyone who makes that stand is going to experience trials of persecution, but we can know that God is working it for our good. And the next word there, when you, this is a text for us as individuals. Um, I want to make sure that, that we look at this in, in all the beauty that it is in our own personal way. Um, it's possible to have correct theology, but to use it incorrectly, right? We, we kind of see that as we've been going through the book of Job. His, his friends had a lot of correct theology, but they were completely misusing it. Um, when we're around someone that's going through a trial, we, we shouldn't say, well, why are you so down? You know, you're supposed to be joyous right now. You know, God's hand are, is, is working all this for good. Uh, whenever we're looking upon someone else, we're told to, to weep with those who weep. We're told to bear one another's burdens. These are commands that we are supposed to do to one another. And um, there is that sense that when you, when we are in trials, we need to remember I need to count this as joy. I need to um, see God's hand in this and to trust in him. But when others are going through trials, we, we need to bear their burdens as if they were our own. Um, how sweet it is when you're going through a trial to hear from a fellow believer that they're praying for you, that they're interse uh, interceding on your behalf. And it's, it's not wrong to tell somebody about the sovereignty of God. It's not wrong to remind them that, that God's hand is going to work this for good. But it, it should be at the right time. We shouldn't look upon people and say, well, you're downcast. You, you need to count this as joy. You need to be happy during this trial. And then it says, uh, meet trials. Now, the ESV translates that word. Uh, it's a Greek word, parapito, which is translated meet. But the King James translates it fall into. And I kind of like that translation better. It gives a better idea of what's going on. Uh, Jesus used the same word whenever he was talking about the Good Samaritan. Remember, the Good Samaritan was, was on the road, and he fell among robbers. And it's also used one other time in the New Testament uh, when it was talking about the Apostle Paul's ship when he was on his way to Rome, striking into a reef, that word strike. It gives the idea of something that, that we don't have control over. We meet trials. It, it's not something that we necessarily were expecting. It's not something that is happening because of something we did, they just fall upon us. It, it may be a knock at your door or a phone call or a letter in the mail. It may be a diagnosis at the doctor that you weren't expecting. They, they meet us in various ways. They, they fall upon us. And not only that, but it, then it says of various kinds. Trials are not all of the same shape and size. Um, we have some that are related to health. We have some that are related to um, relationship. We have some that are related to finances, and the list just goes on and on. Um, when, when James uses this, ver this word various, he's, he's including all sorts of trials, not just specific ones, various trials. 
And the Greek Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, if you remember uh, about Joseph's coat of many colors, that many colors, that's the same word here that is used of various kinds. Any color under the rainbow uh, was in his coat, we're told. And so it's the idea of any kind of trial that we could go through is included in this verse. And so what, no matter the type of trial that you're going through, James's advice to believers is to look at it and count it as joy. And the question is, but why? Why should we count trials as joy? How can we count trials as joy if they just fall upon us and if they're of various kinds? And the only way that we can be joyful amidst trials in this life is to be prepared for them beforehand. We must prepare by being in the word of God. We must prepare by being in communion with God in prayer and, and by knowing the reason for trials before they happen. The truth behind every trial that we face is, though it may seem evil, God means it for good. And this, again, this, this is the promise for those who are in Christ. If, if you're outside of Christ, this promise does not apply to you. This promise does not apply to those in the world. We can't go around telling unbelievers that God's working this for their good because that's not the truth. This is for those who are in Christ. Um, if you're doing the McShane readings, um, we just uh, recently got done with the story of Joseph, and we've been going through Job. And uh, amidst our, our momentary trial that we faced recently, it was so rich to look at these men. But if you notice, Job and Joseph, they really didn't do anything wrong to deserve the trials that they were going through. You could maybe say that Joseph kind of deserved to become a little bit more humble. He was sharing his vision with his father and brothers, and maybe he had to learn some humility. But not with Job. We were told that Job was a righteous man, that he was upright and... Um, why did Job go through trials? And a lot of people say, well, Satan did the trial. If you really look at the text, though, Satan was out prowling around the earth, and God says, hey, have you considered Job? Satan's not the one that brought that up. God is. And so God actually wanted to receive glory from Job. And isn't that what our heart's desire should be, that he receive glory from us? Most today would, would look at that story in Job and say, well, that, that's not right. God shouldn't have done that. I mean, Job was a good guy. He was doing the things he was supposed to do. But our God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. Our, our chief end is simply to glorify him however we can. Now, at the end of both of these narratives uh, of Job and Joseph, things work out good for them. The things work out, they're restored. But we don't always see that in, in, in trials. The good may not be seen on this side of eternity. But even if we don't get to see the good come about from it, we can know some things are happening while we're in trials. Some things are indeed occurring. And so I've listed out five ways uh, that I feel that Scripture shows that trials are indeed beneficial to us as believers and why we can count it all joy when trials fall among us. The first reason, which is uh, going to be further explained in verse 3, is trials come to strengthen and to refine our faith. When trials come upon us, they are indeed serving the purpose of testing our faith. In First uh, Peter, if you want to turn there, it's the book that's uh, right next to James. It's right after James. First Peter, verse 1, um, and if you'll look at verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are told that um, our faith is more precious than gold in that verse. And indeed, it is more precious than anything because without faith, we're told it's, it's impossible to please God. The testing of our own faith is important because faith is not something that you can hold in your hand. It's not something that you can really look at and judge yourself. How I, I feel strong in the faith right now, or I feel weak in the faith. It's, it's not something that you can look at, and, and we can trick ourselves into believing that our faith is stronger than it actually is, or even worse, that we have faith and we actually don't. And so God gives us these fiery trials to reveal to us what's inside of us. They, they squeeze us, and they press us, and it makes the vileness that we thought was not within us come out. So trials refine us in, in a way that, that nothing else can. They pull back the, the curtains that our sin tries to hide behind and actually reveal to us how much we need God. If you'll remember in the Old Testament, there was a king by the name of Hezekiah. He was a king of Judah, and he was the one who uh, was sick, and God sent Isaiah to him to tell him, you're, you're going to die. And Hezekiah pleaded with God, and God added 15 years to his life. Well, um, we, we see in the story of, of Hezekiah in Second Chronicles that after this happens, he, he kind of becomes a little prideful. He, he has all these riches and all this treasure, and the Babylonians are coming by to offer him a present because he had overcome his illness. And, and he shows them his storehouse of all the treasures. And we're told in Second Chronicles 32-31 that, that God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now, obviously, God did not need to know what was in Hezekiah's heart. He knows the hearts of men. He doesn't have to see what's in our heart by giving us trials. He knows this. What this text is talking about is actually giving Hezekiah a knowledge of what is in himself to show him of his pride and to give him a chance to repent of that and to correct that. And so we, we, we need to know what is in our own hearts. And how can we mortify our sins if we, we don't know that they're there? Oftentimes, it's the trials that we go through that will reveal that weakness of faith that we didn't think we had. It would, it'll reveal the sins that we thought we had already put away, and it'll reveal our pride. It'll reveal our love that we have for the world, and that, that list just goes on and on, all these things that trials can reveal. And so the first thing I see um, there was, again, trials strengthen, uh, I'm sorry, trials test the strength or the weakness of our faith. Secondly, trials come to make us want heaven more. As believers, we should uh, have that desire to be in heaven. We should say with Paul, to die is gain. But oftentimes, we're enjoying this life. We're enjoying the blessings of this life. We can get caught up in the joys of a godly spouse, of, a, of godly children, of uh, grandchildren, and um, even the joy that is in our ministries that we have, all these things that are good in themselves can distract us from our main point, which is to be with God. And so Paul uh, told us in Corinthians to set our mind on things above and not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And 
we have to always keep in focus that this life is about preparing for the life to come. It's not about your best life now. It's not about enjoying the things of this world. It's about preparing for eternity. And so God allows trials that, that we can see just how horrible this fallen world is. It makes us want to be with him that much more. Um, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's the prayer that Edwards would say. And it should be our prayer too. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Help us to see eternity. Help us to get our focus off of this earth and upon on the things of it. Heaven needs to be seen. And thankfully, God does reveal to us the beauty of it in trials. Now, the third way that I see trials being beneficial to us is trials reveal what we really love. Jesus said in Luke 14, if uh, anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't telling us to walk around hating everybody. He um, is saying there, in comparison to the love that you have for me, everything else should seem very minuscule. Everything else should seem almost unimportant. And it's easy to say today, I love God. It's easy for us because there is no cost in saying that. I love God. You may get a few funny looks or something, but there's no actual persecution involved in it. But how easy is it for us to get sidetracked, to put our families, to put our wife, our money, our, our health above God? Um, as we were recently going through that trial, my wife had reminded me of something, and that was that, that these children that we have are ultimately God's. And that's the truth of everything that we have. Nothing is our own. Each and everything that we have is, is a gift from God. It is something that we are meant to steward. And we have to put them in their right places. We can't let them usurp God. Um, as parents, our prayer for our children is that they may be saved. That's our ultimate prayer. And, and we pray at all cost, no matter what happens. We pray that their salvation would take place. And... Um, it's interesting, during that, that little trial, the gospel was revealed to Addie in such a way that she had never seen it before. And it was beautiful to see, God, are you working this trial for good? And it's that way oftentimes. Um, and, and if you know that, uh, something is God's, if you know that it is his, but yet you're mad when he takes it away, or you're mad at him whenever he causes issues to occur, or you question his, his right to do that, it, it may be pointing to the fact that you've created an idol. And that's something that we need to repent of. Putting things before God is, is not optional for us as believers. He must be first. And so if you're going through a trial, it, it could be to show you something else has taken the place of God. And it's to check and see where your love is. Now the fourth way that I see that trials benefit us is trials teach us obedience. We're told in Hebrews 5.8 concerning Jesus that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Suffering will produce in us obedience to God, and through obedience, we can learn the joy of God's blessings. So though something may seem unpleasant to us, if we hold fast to God, if we hold fast and be obedient to him in his word, we will receive the blessing of God. And now don't take, take this out of context and say, well, I'll be blessed as long as I'm obedient through trials. Yes, you will, but it doesn't mean you're going to be 
blessed in a prosperous way. You're not going to be blessed in a worldly way. It doesn't mean that you're going to receive happiness upon this earth. What it means is that God will draw near to you, and you will be able to draw near to God. And as believers, that's the ultimate gift, is to be near to God, to know him more, and to have him closer to us. Um, Trials are shaping us into the image of Christ who was completely obedient to the Father. And shouldn't we want to be completely obedient to him? Um, And so we should should desire to to be obedient amidst trials, which is sometimes difficult to do. We should be obedient and we should submit to God's will for our lives. And that way we can count it as joy. If we're constantly rebelling and saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right, or we're constantly depressed amidst trials, we're being disobedient to God. We're being disobedient to the things that he's called us to because he's called us to receive glory from our trials, for him to receive glory from our trials. Now, the fifth way that I see that trials benefit us is trials come so that we can help others during their suffering. It's so encouraging um, when you're amidst a trial to hear a believer in Christ say, well, I went through that same thing. Or I've been going through that. It's an encouragement to know that others have walked the path that you're on. Um, And and having someone that's walked that path before teaches us, well, God has been faithful to them. Likewise, he'll be faithful to me. Peter um, is a great example of this. If you'll remember uh, in in, uh, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus had just finished the Last Supper and... uh, He tells Peter something. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then it says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And do we see that happening? Do we see that Peter turned to strengthen his brothers? I mean, we read out of of 2 Peter this morning. And I read out of 1 Peter a little earlier that both the letters that Peter wrote deal with trials. They deal with difficulties that these people were facing. And what is Peter doing? He's strengthening the brethren. Um, if, if you are indeed born again, you can rest assured that uh, no matter the trial you're going through, that your faith will not fail. In that verse, it says, I prayed that your faith will not fail. And when Jesus prays something, guess what happens? What he prayed happens, that your faith will not fail, and Peter's faith will not fail. And likewise, if you are a born-again Christian, no matter the trial, no matter the hardship, your faith will not fail. And so, um, if you're going through a trial, and you can help a brother or sister in Christ out at the end of it, it's all worth it. If your trial is something that you can use to strengthen the body, it, it's, it's all going to be worth it, and it should be counted as joy. So in case you missed one, the five things here, trials come to strengthen and refine our faith. Trials come to make us want heaven more. Thirdly, trials reveal what we really love. Four, trials teach us obedience. And then fifth, trials come so that we may help others in their suffering. Now, indeed, that list could go on and on. There are several different things that Scripture points to that could be included in that list. Um... But verse 3 really expounds on that first topic, which is the heart of trials, that they strengthen our faith. And so let's, let's read verse 3. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
Now, this verse is really close to Romans 5. If you want to turn there, uh, Romans 5, it's, it's almost the exact same thing that Paul was saying to the uh, church in Rome. Romans 5, and we're going to read verses uh, 3 through 5. Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul tells us, just like James has, that suffering produces endurance, steadfastness. Back at, uh, in James verse 3, we see that, that um, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. For you know it begins. Um, have you ever thought, if I, I knew the reason why I'm going through this trial, it would be a little easier for me to bear it? If, if I just knew the end outcome of why this is happening... It would make it a lot easier for me to bear this trial. Well, that's just good news because James tells us, for you know. Every Christian knows that, that the trials we go through grow us. Um, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've gone through trials, they've strengthened your faith. They strengthen our faith each and every time we go through them. Um, as a child, my dad would often remind me that if you um, are on the top of a mountain and you look, it's a bunch of little shrubs and maybe some weeds growing. But if you look down from the mountain, the valley, it's where the growth happens. And that's really the truth in our Christian walk. Whenever we're uh, free from trials, whenever we are just uh, living at the top of the mountain, not a lot of growth is occurring. But it's in those valleys that, that you draw near to God. Um, it's like when you go to the, the gym. And unfortunately, I can't say I do that often, but if you do go to the gym, it's not a pleasant thing necessarily to work out, to, to strain and to lift those weights, but it's what occurs because of that that is the reward, and that is it's good for you, your body. It, it creates muscle. It creates that endurance, and so the joy comes from knowing what it is that the trial is producing, and it's the same way uh, with our trials is that those scenarios that we count them as joy not because they themselves are indeed pleasant, not because we, we are somehow transformed as Christians as to think, well, now nothing can hurt me, I'm invincible. We, we do feel pain and we do feel the trials as for what they are, which are, are indeed trials. But we know that they're working in us to build our endurance. Um, that word know in verse 3 is, is not simply a head knowledge. It's not something that you... Say, well, well, now I know that trials uh, produce um, endurance. It's not simply knowing a fact. It's, it's more, it's an emotional, deep personal truth. Something that you've experienced. And each trial we go through builds faith. And that's why Paul says from faith to faith, we're encouraged. The, the faith that we have originally should be growing. And trials help that. The trial that you are in now, you probably couldn't have bore several years ago, because God has strengthened your faith to that point. Um, as Christians, we, we, we know that this is the truth because it, it just constantly plays out in our lives. Um, those trials that, that just seem unbearable, they just produce in us that deeper faith. And then James continues, for you know that the testing of your faith, that word testing here is, is a Greek word, it's, it's talking about refining a metal in a fire. 
God puts us in a trial to make sure that our faith is pure. He makes sure that there's no um, impure metals in our life. And I know that amidst uh, trials, I'm just amazed to discover how many impure metals still exist in my life. And I'm thankful that, that God does this so that it reveals to me that these impurities are there, that these need to go away so that I can be more Christ-like. Now, the only way for us to, to truly know what is inside of us is to be tested. If you think of a school that never gave tests, how would the teachers know what's the students learning? How would the students know that they're learning anything? Testing is something that actually proves to us what is on the inside. It proves to us how we're doing in our walk. And in the same sense, uh, we as Christians, we, we should desire to know how we're doing because our desire should be to be more Christ-like this year than we were last, and it should continually progress that way. Then James goes on to say it produces steadfastness. And uh, steadfastness is how the ESV renders it. The King James uh, trans, uh, translates it as patience. It's also translated as endurance. Um, in Hebrews 12:1, Paul gives that idea of running the race. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endurance is the same Greek word used here for steadfastness in James, and it, it means to bear up under great pressure. How easy is it during the midst of trials to, to just want to collapse, to just say, I give up? And it's sad today that so many people have that mindset. Well, this marriage is tough. I'm just going to give up on it. Um, my family, I can't deal with them. I'm just not going to talk to them. Um, this church, I, I, don't, I don't like the people there, so I'm going to go find another church. Instead of bearing under the trial and uh, receiving the result, the strengthening of your faith, we, we oftentimes want to just run away. But James tells us that if we withstand the trial, that we will become stronger and endurance um, is that ability to, to finish the race of this life. It's something that we should desire to do. Um, how horrible would it be if we were just saved and God just left us alone and just let us coast through life? Um, we would forget about the importance of sharing the gospel. We would forget about the importance of uh, um, telling others about Christ, of, of the spiritual battle that is being fought. And we would forget about having to overcome our own flesh and the sins that we are harboring. But unfortunately, that's what so many today that profess to be believers want. They want to be saved, but then they don't, they don't want any of the other part of the Christian faith. They don't want the persecution. They don't want the sanctification. Um, but, but again, our ultimate goal is to be more Christ-like. And so we should want that at all costs. Uh, Spurgeon has a quote that said that justification without sanctification is no salvation at all. If, if God just simply saves us from his wrath, from the punishment, it's really no salvation at all. We, we want to be more Christ-like. That is, that is the ultimate goal as believers. We, we do want to be saved from the wrath of God, but without sanctification, we would have no desire to spend eternity with God. So if you don't see that work of transformation in your life, that sanctification, you do need to question, am I really saved? Because sanctification is part of, of every believer's life. We are saved through steadfastness and patience, and we will continue to be saved until we enter into glory. And trials just produce in us this, this reminder, stay on track, run the race, finish the race. It, it's this reminder that we 
need to keep our focus on the end goal. Maybe you've slacked in your spiritual reading, in your reading the Word of God. God has a trial to get you back on track. Maybe your prayer life has slacked or is non-existent. God has a trial to get you back on track. Uh, maybe you've elevated things above God. Again, he has that trial to get you back on track. God does graciously pinpoint our weaknesses, the places that we need to grow in um, so that we can finish this race without losing sight of the goal. Again, which is being molded into the image of Christ. Verse 4 uh, says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, perfect is something I want to clarify here. It's not a word that's uh, talking about sinless perfection. We know that that's not obtainable on this side of glory. We're, we're not going to become sinlessly perfect where we never sin again. What this is for referring to is spiritual maturity. God could indeed make us into the image of Christ the moment we're saved. Just like he could birth humans who were completely knowledgeable and intellectual, but he chooses to give us babies and then toddlers, children, teenagers, adults. It's a process. And it's the same thing with us. Uh, the longer that we walk with the Lord, the more that we grow. And it's the way that God chooses to do things, and it brings him glory. Uh, it also says perfect and complete. Again, the word complete doesn't mean that we have everything together, that we're going to reach a point where nothing affects us. We're just perfect and complete Christians. Um, the idea here is that we don't have any gaps in our life, that there's no areas that we're lacking in. God uses these trials that we, we come in contact with to, to fill in those gaps, those weaknesses that we have. Um, God sees areas that, that we could improve in, the areas that we're not complete, that we're not spiritually mature, and he provides us a way to grow in those areas. And then lastly, it says lacking in nothing. The idea is that we are not lacking anything of, in, of spiritual importance. Trials are designed by God to bring out the areas of, the spirit, of our spiritual life that are indeed lacking. And like I said at the beginning of this text, um, I saw how much I had failed, counted all joy during trials. I had failed at that. And so it's a good reminder when, when we're reminded through trials, through conviction, that, that we still need to grow, that we are, are not complete, that we are still lacking. Um, and to see that, that through trials, all these things work together for our good. Um, and we don't need to focus on that in the sense of, oh, well, I really messed up. I failed ter terribly. Let that lead us to repentance. But let us also say with Paul that we should forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. So um, it's, it's a good reminder to always know that we're not complete. We're not perfect. Because if we were, God would have already called us home. He has a purpose for each and everything that happens in our life. Um, we have a hope that we are headed in that direction. We have a hope that one day we will be complete. One day we will be perfect. And God has a compass of trials that often lead us in that direction. Um, you're not going to become more holy, more Christ-like, simply by wishing it was true. I wish to be more Christ-like. I wish to um, be more sanctified. Um, it, it, it's not something that we can persuade ourselves to do. It's something that God has to do in us. And godliness comes through struggle, and struggles come from trials. Jesus said to his disciples in uh, John 16, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. And this is indeed our hope as Christians, that we have a Savior who overcame this world. And though we have tribulation, our hope is not in our brief momentary trials. It is in God. You see, a perfect and holy God sent to us his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And he came into this world born of a virgin, and he lived the life that you and I cannot live. He lived a life because he was the God-man. He lived the perfect and holy life that you and I should desire to live. But because of our sinful nature, because we are fallen creatures, we completely rebel against God. But yet while he were, we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're told upon the cross that he bore our sins. He bore the wrath of God. And that is good news for trials because we know that trials are not because of God's wrath upon us. Every bit of the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ for our behalf. There is no wrath left. There's just grace. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that is the encouragement that we have in the cross. Um, and, and so through his death, he, he proved the power over this world by resurrecting three days later from the grave. And he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. He's interceding for the saints. And that is great news because he's praying for us while we're in trials. He's praying for us that we would be more Christ-like, that our faith would not fail, just like he did with Peter. And so, like the song we sung earlier, those trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. Um, the, 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 la, the wrath of God was paid in total by Christ. The Greek word totelestai, paid in full. There's nothing left for us. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you to examine your faith See how weak it is. See how strong it is. See how you're doing amidst trials. Um, we, we do sit under solid teaching week in and week out at this church. It's, it's beautiful that we get to have correct doctrine taught to us. It's beautiful that we go through the word of God and it's exhorted to us in a faithful way. But just because we know these truths, just because we have a head knowledge of these truths doesn't mean that we are saved. If during trials you, you find that you have no hope, if, if you see that you're not growing in Christ-likeness and, and that you have no conviction or even a desire to grow in it, then you really need to question, am I saved? Because in, if your sins were not placed upon the spotless Lamb of Christ, this promises today don't, don't apply to you. Trials are only working for your destruction. If you're not in Christ... The trials that you're facing are just a foretaste of the eternal destruction that is going to happen in eternity. And so, again, if you don't see that progression in holiness this morning, just examine to see where you stand. Examine to see if, if you are indeed in Christ. But um, as believers, again, we, we know that um, Christ has overcome this world, that because of his resurrection, we can have assurance that we, too, will overcome this world one day. No matter the to, uh, total devastating trial that you are in or maybe one day will go through, you're going to overcome the world as a believer. And we get to spend eternity worshiping the all-powerful one who takes even our darkest and most painful trials and work them together for our good. So let's pray and then we'll wrap up. Dearly Father, thank you again for this uh, text. Thank you, God, that you work all things together for our good, even when we are in 
dark trials, even the darkest of all days, we know that you are the light, that you are the strength that will provide us faith to make it through. Please strengthen our faith. We, we pray that at all costs we would become more faithful believers. Uh, help us to, to seek you and to see um, and to, to strengthen one another while we're in trials. We thank you that we um, take these prayer requests at the end of service. We, we just pray that we would have a heart for one another because trials are difficult, but we know, Father, that through this, that we are to remain joyful knowing that you are in control of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.